Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Hi, everyone. I am Martino De Chicho, Vice President of Strategy and Investor Relations. I'd like to welcome you to Endeavor's Q3 results webcast. Before we start, please note the usual disclaimer. On the call today, I am joined by Sebastian, Mark, Joanna, and Patrick. Today's call will follow our usual format. Sebastian and Joanna will start by discussing the Q3 operational and financial highlights, and Mark will then walk you through the details mind by mind. We will try to be as quick as possible to leave time for questions at the end. I will now hand it over to our CEO, Sebastian, to walk you through the highlights. Thank you, Martino, and hello to everyone from Burkina Faso, uh, where I'm currently. 2021 is shaping up to be a tremendous year for Endeavor, and it was particularly pleasing earlier this week to be able to host our board members on site to show them the progress being made. I would note four recurring themes which I believe are the hallmark of us becoming a resilient and reliable business. First is our continued strong operating performance. We are on track to again beat our full year production guidance for the ninth year in a row and produce over 1.5 million ounces. Second is our continued balance sheet strength with a close to zero leverage ratio. Third is our focus on shareholder returns, which has seen us return nearly $225 million to shareholders since just the beginning of the year. And fourth is our success in advancing a robust organic growth pipeline. The Sabadola Masawa Phase 1 is on track for completion in the fourth quarter. We have a number of studies currently underway, and we recently announced our exploration plan to discover up to 20 million answers over the next five years. Moving to slide seven, we have provided a snapshot of our key operational and financial results, and we will go into more details on these in the following slides. As the third quarter is typically the rainy season, comparison to our record second quarter results is not necessarily the best reference point. I think a better comparison is to analyze the performance versus Q3 uh, last year and year to date versus last year, specifically on a per share metric, given the recent transactions that were completed. You can see here that production has doubled versus the same year-to-date period last year, while costs have decreased by 4%. But more importantly, the cash flow per share has increased by over 30%, and the adjusted net earnings per share have increased by over 50%. On slide 8, you can see our strong performance across our key operating metrics. Our production performance to date has put us well on track to achieve the top end of our guidance range while keeping all-in sustaining costs within our guidance range. Turning to slide 9, Endeavor takes pride in our focus on safe work practices and systems, and our ultimate aim is to achieve zero-arm performance. As many of you know, we reinforce this by having a group safety KPI in the annual bonus scheme every year. Our lost time injury frequency rate remains low compared to industry standards, five times lower, in fact, than the 
industry average with just two LTIs during the quarter and the lost time injury frequency rate of 0.21 times for the past 12 months. However, we will always make it a priority to drive that figure even lower. Alongside our focus on safety, we've also been supporting the COVID-19 vaccination campaigns in our host countries. This started a bit later than in the UK and Europe, and I'm pleased to report that over 50% of our employees are vaccinated, with that number increasing every week. Following a record second quarter, the rainy season in Q3 had a limited impact on production. This quarter, we actually performed better than initially budgeted, and we're particularly pleased with the performance of Hyundai and Sabadola Masawa. Hyundai is benefiting from the high grade ore uh, from the carry palm deposits, while Sabadola Masawa grades increased due to higher grades from the Sofia main pit. Compared to last year, we increased Q3 production by 138,000 ounces, driven primarily by the integration of the Teranga assets into our portfolio, and higher production at both Hyundai and ET. All in sustaining cost increased simply as a result of the scheduled higher sustaining capital spend during Q3. This year, our diversification is stronger, with seven mines in production spread across three countries, accounting for an increase of 573,000 ounces year-to-date, compared to six operating assets in two countries in 2020. We've also seen a drop in our all-in sustaining cost of $36 per ounce on a year-over-year -year basis, which is a strong achievement given the industry inflationary pressure. Turning now to slide 12, touching upon our costs and inflation controls, we thought it would be helpful to share a bit more color on the subject. Following the semaphore and Taranga transactions, we've been able to leverage our collective strengths as the largest mining company in the region to renegotiate longer-term contracts with price variation provision for key consumables such as fuel, steel, reagents, and tires. By using our increased group tender volumes, we've been able to secure contract terms that give us greater cost certainty well into 22, and in some cases as far out as 25. In some instances, we've achieved significantly better prices compared to what Teranga and Semaphore were paying. We have also increased our efforts on managing our supply and stock containment across the group. Given we have many operations in West Africa, we can assess our spare part inventory as a region and not in isolation at the mine site level only. These efforts have helped us navigate through the cost inflation with the industry that the industry has seen. Moving to the next slide, our all-in sustaining margin continues to be very healthy and mirrors the trends seen on the previous slide. Given our low all-in sustaining cost per ounce during the quarter, we had an all-in sustaining margin of $858 per ounce at an average realized gold price of $1,763 per ounce. That's a high margin of over 50%. Compared with the Q3 last year, our all-in sustaining margin has increased by more than $90 million, and this is partially due to stronger production at our legacy mines and, of course, the acquisitions of Semaphore and Teranga assets. On slide 14, we can see, you can see the trend of our operating cash flow, which increased by $110 million over the third quarter of 2020. 
We saw strong cash flow in the third quarter compared to the second quarter of 21, despite lower realized gold price and sales. And this is because Q2 is typically the quarter where we pay higher taxes. On the following slides, Joanna will take you through our financial performance into more detail. Joanna, if you want. Thanks, Sebastian. Moving to slide 15, we bridge our Q3 operating cash flow over that of the second quarter. Q2 performance was not fully representative of the operating performance due to our tax installment payments, which are always higher in the second quarter of the year. And you see here that this was the largest factor in explaining why operating cash flow was better in Q3 versus Q2, despite lower production, as we paid $51 million more in Q2 for tax payments. This largely offset the lower realized gold price of production, with details provided in numbers 1 and 2 on the slide. Regarding working capital, it was a decrease of $14 million in Q3 2021 compared to an increase in Q2 2021, mainly due to a decrease in accounts payable at Bungu, Idi, and Mana due to the timing of payments in the two quarters. This was partially offset by a decrease in inventories resulting from the unwinding of the fair value adjustment to stockpiles at the Sabadala Misawa and Wangyan mines, as well as a decrease in inventories, stockpiles, and finished good balances at Hyundai and Idi. Slide 16 shows how our liquidity has evolved during the quarter. Financing activities during the quarter included repayments on long-term debt of $80 million, $100 million of shareholder and minority interest dividends, and $35 million on share buybacks. Investing activities included a $55 million spend on sustaining capital expenditures, $42 million on non-sustaining capex, and $11 million on our growth projects. At quarter end, Endeavor's liquidity remains strong with $760 million of cash and significant headroom with $370 million undrawn on our credit facility. After the end of the quarter in October, we also restructured our long-term debt. We refinanced our existing bridge loan that was used to repay the Taranga higher cost debt facilities when we acquired Taranga with a $500 million fixed rate senior bond offering. The bonds have a 5% coupon and mature in 2026. We also refinanced our existing RCF with a new $500 million unsecured RCF. The new RCF has an interest rate of 2.4% plus LIBOR and is due in 2025. The proceeds of the note, together with our cash on hand, were used to repay all amounts of standing under, under the company's existing loan facilities and to pay fees and expenses in connection with the offering of the note. Our new long-term debt facilities extend the maturities of our debt, as well as providing enhanced financial flexibility and additional liquidity headroom. Turning to the next slide, page 17 shows our balance sheet continuing to strengthen as our leverage ratio is close to zero at 0.05 times net debt to adjusted EBITDA. This quarter, we generated over $300 million in operating cash flows and, despite paying a $70 million dividend and buying back $35 million worth of shares, we were still able to continue improving our balance sheet and maintaining our net debt at around $70 million. In fact, if we'd wanted to, we could have been in a net cash, cash position by now. With our capital allocation framework, we are taking a balanced approach where we are continuing to strengthen our balance sheet while also, also continuing to invest in our exploration, our growth projects, and crucially, in rewarding our shareholders. Moving to slide 19, we have a detailed breakdown of our net earnings over the past two quarters. As usual, I won't go through every line here, but we'll address a few of the most significant items. Our corporate costs and our acquisition and restructuring costs were significantly lower during the quarter because of the slightly elevated cost in Q2 related to our listing on the London Stock Exchange and the completion of several integration projects related to the Taranga transaction in Q2. 
Our net earnings and adjusted net earnings were lower during Q3 2021 due to lower earnings for mine operations, due to lower gold sales at 80 Carmen Wangyon, due to the anticipated lower production during rainy season, as well as the lower realized gold price of 17.63 per ounce in Q3 compared to $17.91 per ounce in Q2. I'll now hand it back over to Sebastian so that he can comment on our shareholder returns program. Sebastian? Thank you, Joanna. Moving to the next slide, I would like to reiterate our commitment to shareholder returns. Already this year, we've delivered over $220 million in shareholder returns, and this remains a key capital allocation priority for us. We are keen to reward shareholders, which is why we outlined a three-year minimum progressive dividend outlook earlier this year. Our minimum commitment for this year is $125 million and is expected to increase to at least $175 million by 23. I say this is a minimum dividend because it will be supplemented with additional dividends and share buybacks provided that the prevailing gold price remains above $1,500 per ounce and that our leverage remains below 0.5 times net debt to adjusted EBITDA. During Q3, we paid our H1 interim dividend of $70 million, which is over half of our guided fixed minimum dividend for the full year. So shareholders can expect more than the fixed minimum of $125 million to be paid for this year. In addition, we're continuing share repurchases, and since launching the program in April, we've bought back $94 million of shares, we still believe our share price is significantly undervalued and makes a good capital allocation to continue buy back our shares given our strong cash flow generation. As you can see on this chart, our attractive shareholder return program has us very well positioned versus our senior gold peers from a yield perspective, in particular when you add up our dividends and the active buyback program. Looking at growth, we are fortunate to have built a robust pipeline which is able to, comp to compete for capital. The immediate priority is to, compete, to complete the phase one expansion at Sabadola, which is on track to be completed next month. We are commi currently commissioning five out of the six packages with the gravity circuit to be added in December. And I can comment about it because we just visited uh, the progress on site yesterday. We are also making good progress towards completing the definitive feasibility studies for Sabadola Masawa Phase 2, Ferecro, and Kalana. As we have had so much exploration success this year at Sabadola Masawa and Ferecro, we will finalize resource updates at these two projects in the coming weeks and incorporate the new resources into the DFS. We expect to publish the results from all three studies in Q1 next year. Moving now to exploration, those of you who have followed our story closely since 2016 know just how important exploration has been to our value creation success. We have already discovered 8.5 million ounces in a short time frame. This has allowed us to not only extend the mine lives of core assets to beyond 10 years, but also to discover a new project as well. This year, we are on track to discover a further 2.5 million ounces of indicated resources, as we have had very good exploration results from the drilling programs at all three of our cornerstone assets, meaning Iti, Hyundai, and Sabadola Masawa, with new discoveries at each site expected to be published in the coming weeks. 
Following the acquisition of Semaphore and Tiranga, we've been busy developing a new five-year exploration program to prioritize our exploration efforts and integrate the new assets. We've applied the same unique ranking and screening methodology which has underpinned our success and the conclusion is that we remain extremely bullish on the prospective nature of our portfolio. As you may have seen a few weeks ago, we published our new exploration strategy which is targeting to discover between 15 to 20 million ounces of indicated resources over the next five years at less than $25 per ounce. This represents discovering more than two times our annual mine depletion at a cost that is over three times lower than the global average discovery cost. At each of our assets, we see potential to more than replace depletion. Achieving this goal will not only provide us with production stability, but also strategic flexibility as we advance our pipeline projects. What this outlook is also showing is that when factoring in historic production, Sabadora Masawa, Hyundai and Iti all have the potential to be over 10 million ounce endowments and are expected to account for the bulk of our future discoveries. Because it is very unusual in the industry to publish discovery targets, we've been asked over the recent weeks, why take the risk and publish these ambitious targets? Well, first, we believe that yes, while ambitious, these targets are achievable. These are not arm-waving numbers. We've done a lot of work to assess our potential and stand by these. But beyond this, the other reason is because we want to be accountable and transparent with our exploration investments. Just like our operations team is accountable for production and cost or our project team is accountable for timelines and capex. So our exploration team is also accountable for the money they spend and the answers that they discover. It's important for them and for me to be able to compete for capital within our capital allocation framework. And of course, they keep finding higher grade answers and new projects for less than $25 per ounce. We will of course continue to be more than happy to invest further and further in their success. Before I hand it over to Mark, I just wanted to touch on our listing on the premium segment of the London Stock Exchange in June. We've increased our liquidity significantly in the UK as we are seeing strong demand and growing interest from UK and European generalist funds. About a quarter of our volume is now traded on the LSE and nearly 20% of our shares outstanding have migrated over to the UK. These are strong stats for just the first few months of trading, particularly when compared to some of our dual listed peers. In September, we were included in the FTSE 250 and the FTSE All Share Indexes, which we expect to continue to drive both direct demand and passive demand as investors start to take note of our index inclusion, which should continue to boost our liquidity on the UK line. As our share price continues to perform well, we have sight on becoming eligible for other indices. Next up could be the FTSE 100, which has a market cap review date on 30th November. As of right now, we are just between the 90s and 100s position. So we're watching that closely. 
I will now hand over to Mark for a detailed review of our operations. Mark? Thank you, Sebastian, and hello to everyone on the call. I'm joining this webcast from the Itty Gold Mine, where we have made great progress this year on so many fronts, including recently receiving the final approval to allow us to start mining and processing ore from the Laplace deposit. As you can see on slide 26, this past year has been a very good one for us. We are on track to beat our full year 2021 production guidance and deliver record production for the group. Production increased by over 131% year to date versus 2020 due to the full benefit of consolidated production from Sabadala Masawa and Wanyon and the strong operational performances, most notably at Iti and Hyundai, while the group all in sustaining costs have remained fairly flat. Moving to slide 27, production at Sabadala Masawa increased in the third quarter of 2021 compared to the previous quarter mainly due to the good grades being mined in the Safia main pit at Masala. Thanks to the good progress made on the phase one upgrades at Sabadala, we are progressively able to feed higher grades through the plant while maintaining throughput and recovery efficiencies. Total tonnes mined also increased due to a high proportion of oxide material mined in the Safia north pit and good productivity of shovels and excavators all of which contributed to improved mining and processing unit costs during the quarter. Mining in the Sabadala pit was recommenced in the quarter in order to progress the waste stripping program for future years or production. Despite these improvements in all and sustaining costs per ounce increased slightly during the quarter, mainly due to an increase in the strip ratio associated with the waste stripping in Sophia North and a higher sustaining capital spend which was mainly related to the purchase of additional mining equipment. Given its strong performance year to date, full year 2021 production is well positioned to be near the top end of guidance. The Sophia Main and Sophia North pits are expected to continue to contribute the majority of ore mines for the rest of the year, while waste extraction at Sophia North and Sabadala pits will continue. Advanced grade control drilling is being undertaken at present at the Masawa CZ pit, along with waste dump sterilisation and bush clearing activity in order to be ready for mining next year. On slide 28, I would like to provide an update on the progress of the CIL plant upgrades at Sabadala Masawa. We are tracking slightly ahead of schedule for completion of phase one by the end of the year, with most packages going through commissioning. The gravity circuit will be the last package to commission in early December. The upgrades will allow us to process more of the high-grade free milling Masawa ore through the Sabadala processing plant. The definitive feasibility study for phase two is well underway with early works focused on de-risking the project schedule, including additional engineering design and procurement of long lead equipment. Following successful exploration drilling, resource updates are expected to be published in quarter four and will be incorporated into the study, which is scheduled to be published in early 2022. On slide 29, you can see the photographic evidence of progress on phase one. The picture at the top left shows the additional electro-winning cell, while the top right picture is of the carbon regeneration kiln building and elution tank. The bottom left picture shows a different view of the carbon regeneration and elution area tanks. Lastly, the bottom right picture shows the top of the additional leach tank. On slide 30, 
production of Hyundai is on track to be near the top end of guidance, thanks in large part to the success at Carry Pump. Better than expected mining productivity during the pre-stripping phase and some positive resource reconciliation in high-grade zones have boosted production and helped lower oil and sustaining costs. Total tonnes mine increased marginally with the start-up of Carry West and continued waste stripping at Carry Pump and Bindaloo Main. Ore tonnes mine decreased significantly as scheduled to limit mining of the flat dipping Carry Pump oxide ore during the rainy season, with focus on pre-stripping of the Carry Pump Phase 2 pit. Tonnes milled increased slightly and were sourced from Carry Pump and Bindaloo centre pits and supplemented by stockpiles of Carry Pump ore built up during prior quarters. Overall, slightly lower grades resulted in lower production quarter on quarter. All in sustaining costs increased due to a combination of drawing down stockpiles in quarter three compared to building stockpiles in quarter two and increased capital associated with waste stripping. Moving to Italy on slide 31, where we have also had a very strong year to date. Production is on track to be near the top end of guidance Strong performance has been down to a combination of higher throughput grade and higher recoveries, based on feeding more back to high-grade ore rather than a semi-refractory deploy high-grade ore, which has a lower recovery. The mine has also benefited from detailed review and simplification of the ore stockpiling and blending arrangements, coupled with the use of a mobile crusher and power screen to create a more homogeneous oxide product, which is fed through the surge bin as opposed to the main jaw crusher, and which allows us to get the higher throughputs that we've been achieving. During quarter three, production decreased as guided due to the lower average process grade and tons of ore mined, as we focused on stripping activities at Bakatu, Iti and Colin Sud pits. Ore was mainly sourced from Bakatu and Dupleur, as well as the heat stockpile, supplemented by ore from the Iti and Colin Sud pits. We started mining at La Plaque during the quarter and expect to start feeding ore from there during quarter four, which would contribute some higher grades and increase our blending optionality. All in sustaining cost per ounce increased due to much lower ounces sold compared to the previous period, despite lower operating and capital costs, but the, the, through the drawdown of stockpiles during the rainy season, which also has a negative impact. Moving on to slide 32 at Bungu, production remained in line with the previous quarter as the greater throughput and recovery rate were offset by lower grades. Total tonnes mined decreased in quarter three following the accelerated mining activity in the first half of the year in order to catch up on the waste mining shortfall from 2020. The focus was on ore mining in the lower grade phase two of the west pit and waste stripping in the east pit and phase three of the west pit. All in sustaining cost per ounce decreased compared to the previous quarter due to the decrease in sustaining capital resulting from less stripping at the West Pit and a decrease in unit mining and processing costs due to shorter hauls associated with the near surface phase three stripping and increased plant throughput. Bungu is expected to achieve its full year 2021 production guidance, which would mark a good year following the mine's restart. On slide 33 at Manor, production for 2021 is well positioned to be near the top end of guidance. Production was very consistent quarter on quarter on account of maintaining a similar blend profile of fresh ore from both the Wona open pit 
and CU underground. Total open pit tons mined decreased compared to the previous period as the Wainer South Stage 2 and 3 pits merged into a single pit at depth, with the strip ratio progressively decreasing through to the planned end of mining by mid-2022. Total underground tons of ore mined at CU decreased as a result of a lower contribution from development headings as the mine is now largely developed, which was offset by a higher, higher contribution of straight production. Only the sunning costs increased slightly due to higher processing maintenance costs and much lower pre-strip waste capitalisation compared to the previous period, though offset by a build-up of ore on stockpile. In the last quarter of 2021, stoke production will continue at CU Underground Mine with progressively lower development, which will be offset by commencement of decline development from the new Wainer Underground. Open pit mining activities at Wainer will continue to wind down through to completion by the first half of 2022. Moving to slide 34 at Wanyon, which is also on track to achieve full-year guidance. Production decreased during the quarter as lower mill throughput and lower recovery rates resulted from processing a higher proportion of fresh material with less high-moisture content oxides processed during the wet season to minimise plant blockages. Both total tonnes and ore tonnes mined decreased in quarter three due to the impact of the wet season and the increased focus on waste stripping. All were sourced from the North Valley North not really south and for poorer pits. All in sustaining cost per ounce increased compared to the previous quarter, mainly due to higher unit mining and processing costs and continued focus on TSF construction and less ounces sold in the period. Turning to slide 35, at Karma we are well positioned to meet full year production guidance as well. During the quarter, production decreased due to the lower average grade as well as the expected lower recovery rates, which resulted from the higher proportion of high copper and carbon content ore from the, uh, that was stacked from the GG1 pit. The oil and sustaining cost per ounce increased despite lower mining costs due to less ounces sold compared to the previous quarter. Looking forward, mining activity will continue to focus on the GG1 pits in the last quarter of 2021, supplemented by ore from the Rambo pit. Overall, Quarter three was another strong and consistent quarter across all of our operations, despite the wet season, where we continue to improve our performance through better planning and mining sequencing. As a group, we are well positioned to read our full year production guidance and meet our oil and sustaining cost guidance. As Sebastian mentioned, this will be the ninth year in a row that we've met our guidance, which is something that we are incredibly proud of and is a testament to the quality of our assets and the strength of our team. And with that, I'll pass back to you, Sebastian. Thank you, Mark. Before we close, I just wanted to reiterate that our business remains resilient and is on track to deliver its ninth consecutive year of meeting guidance, as uh, mentioned again, Mark. It is this ability to consistently deliver on what we say we are going to deliver on across all aspects of our business that has granted us a strong social license to operate and it is why we believe we are a trusted partner to all our stakeholders. Our resilience as a business is what also enables us to continue to invest in organic growth through our successful exploration program and our exciting development projects opportunities, while ensuring we are able to continue to return capital to shareholders over and above our guided minimum. Before we move on to questions, 
Uh, you can see our key upcoming catalyst listed here, which we have described throughout the presentation. Interestingly, this call is made through multiple locations. I'm calling from Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso, where I will be meeting the Prime Minister tomorrow and uh, after two days at Sabadola. Mark is calling from ET uh, in Côte d'Ivoire, and Joanna just came back uh, to London after three days at Sabadola. This is not a sign of traveling arrangements easing and reopening after two years of COVID. This is what we do on a continuous basis, including during the COVID and lockdown period. Being on the ground with our host countries and at our mine sites is how we've been growing this incredible platform in West Africa and that we will continue to develop irrespective of COVID or security perceived restrictions. On that closing note, I would like to thank our team once again for their hard work this quarter and look forward to presenting our results at year end. With that, I would like to thank you all for dialing in and open the line up to questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session, prioritizing covering analysts due to time constraints. As a reminder, if you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A queue. This will only take a few moments. And if you wish to cancel your request, please press the hash key. Once again, please press star 1 if you wish to ask a question. The first question is from the line of Oves Habib from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thanks, operator. Uh, congrats, Sebastian and uh, Endeavor team uh, on a solid quarter um, and a clean beat uh, despite the rainy season. Um, just a qu couple of questions from me. Um, starting off, uh, year to date, you know, you, you've Endeavor has produced around 1.14 million ounces, and and really achieving the top end of guidance implies about uh, you know Q4 production of at least uh, 350,000 ounces of gold. Now you produced 380,000 ounces in Q3, about 409,000 in, in Q2. Q4 is typically Endeavor's strongest quarter. Should we expect Q4 to be around the Q2 level? Any any kind of color you can provide on that? <laughs> Thanks, Avais. I knew I knew you would ask the question. Um, I think what we safely said is uh, we're on track to reach you know the uh, top and potentially obviously beat you know the upper end of the production guidance for the year. Um, I think that you know there, there are a lot of work going on, and as you know, we are embarking in uh, you know strong capital uh, uh, investments in uh, in 22 and 23. Uh, so I would you know simply say that uh, you know we will be you know on track in in on Q4 you know with uh, you know similar numbers as uh, you know Q3 and, uh, and and Q2 in between you know Q3 and Q2. The objective is not you know to uh, you know overshoot in terms of uh, of production. Uh, there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, there are also a lot of work to be done uh, at some mine site in order to open up uh, new deposits and uh, and do some pushbacks to prepare for 22 and 23. So I think what we want is to be consistent and make sure that uh, we prepare properly, you know, for uh, 22 and 23. Sounds good, Sebastian. And then uh, just uh, based on that, in terms of uh, sustaining capital, uh, now. How do you see sustaining capital kind of going into Q4? Is it expected to decline in quarter over quarter as most of your stripping campaigns for the year are complete or about to be complete? Uh, essentially, just trying to gauge uh, the expected free cash flow for Q4. 
Uh-huh. Um, I would say that um, you know the the. I think we've demonstrated that uh, you know if you put on sites on specific one-off items, you know on taxes and so on, uh, which we we paid you know mainly in uh, in Q2. Um, what we're trying is to be consistent at current gold price environment in uh, you know getting around you know the hundred and you know fifty to two hundred million dollars of uh, net free cash you know for the business. Uh, so uh, you know that's what you know we will be again. You know, trying to uh, trying to target, um, ensuring that we prepare property 22 and 23. But in terms of sustaining capital, we will be in line with uh, you know around what we had in uh, in Q3. Uh, there was some big big capital that were done in Q1 and Q2. Uh, but as I said, I want to make sure that uh, you know we do prepare properly also 22 and 23. And just a final question for me, uh, in regards to the FTSE 100 inclusion or potential inclusion. Uh, I believe that's based on market cap. Um, on that end, are you already above the cutoff mark, or, or where, where does that stand? Say that again, sorry. Uh, in, in, in regards to the FTSE 100 inclusion, um, I believe that's on uh, based on the market cap of the company. Uh, are you yes. already above the cutoff mark? So um, the way the way it works is um, uh, you need uh, there are quarterly reviews. I mean for the uh, for the FTSE 100 inclusion, um, when you are below, I mean in the top 90, you are automatically included in the in the indices. If you are between 90 and 100, then it depends on you know how long and how stable you've been into a certain period for a certain period uh, into this uh, 90 to 100. Um, if we look at the last uh, the last few days, you know, based on the uh, increased share price and uh, and on the back of uh, of gold price, uh, we are currently you know just below 100. So we now into the 90 to 100 uh, um, uh, top uh, uh, top companies in the uh, in the FTSE. Uh, so it will really depend on uh, on how you know things evolve over the next uh, I would say uh, next three to four months uh, to see whether we're able to either get into the top 90 or uh, remain on a sustainable basis in terms of number of days uh, within this 900 to be able to get included into it. So we're getting there, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, we don't have any rush. You know, we're just pleased to see that, uh, you know, progressively, uh, you know, shareholders and investors are recognizing uh, the, strong, uh, the strong quality of the business uh, that we've been developing, in particular after the uh, successful integration of um, uh, Sabado, Teranga, and, uh, and Semaphore. Thanks for the color, uh, Sebastian, and, and, and thanks for taking my question. That's it for me. Thank, Thank you. Very you. The next question is from the line of Dan Shaw from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi, just just one question from me. Um, another strong performance uh, from an operational standpoint, um, and you're obviously flagging the, some upside risk to the guidance. Um, can you just outline from your perspective what the main factors have been um, driving that outperformance relative to perhaps your budget assumptions? Um, and are these things that, that can potentially carry on over into, into 2022, or are they more one-off in nature? Thank you. Sure. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, as we, we try to highlight is, uh, you know, we've been doing a stronger Q3 compared to, you know, the, uh, uh, the budget we expected. Usually Q3 has, uh, uh, you know, some risk because of the rainy season. I think this year was, you know, well prepared, but, uh, you know, we had some, uh, uh, some concern on some of the recently uh, acquired assets. Uh, but I must say that, uh, 
you know, there was a strong, uh, strong production at Sabadola Masawa and, and also strong production at Hyundai, uh, which allowed us to have this uh, uh, stronger Q3 than, uh, than initially anticipated. So that's, uh, that's a good news. The two main factors, I mean, for those uh, increased production, in particular at Sabadola and, uh, and Hyundai, uh, were clearly the, uh, you know, the higher grades uh, that uh, we are getting from both Caripom for uh, Hyundai and from uh, Sofia for Sabadola Masawa. Uh, so, um, you know, Mark, do you want to comment on, on top of that? But, uh, you know, overall, very pleased, you know, with the, uh, with the Q3 and, uh, and, and going very strongly into Q4. Yeah, sure. I guess there's a couple of factors. So, for example, at Etty, with what we were doing through the surge feeder, being able to sustain a, a, a very good throughput in the processing plant uh, above what we had targeted, and, and as Sebastian mentioned, to be able to sustain that through the wet season was something that we were particularly proud of. Um, for Hyundai, the carry pump it has performed well, and for Sabadala, the Sophia mains it has performed well. Um, and, and then MANA has been very, very consistent through both the um, WONA South and the CU Underground. That would be the main contribution to the strong performance for the year. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Don DeMarco from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you, Operator. Um, hello, Sebastian and team. Um, congratulations on a great quarter. So a couple questions for me. Um, first of all, on your share buybacks, do you plan to maintain these, or, or was this more of a tactical move, recognizing at a time when share prices were lower? Uh, thanks, Don. Well, no, I think we, you know, the way we're looking at it is really through um, uh, the layers of uh, uh, capital allocation. Uh, so. Um, we, we see today uh, that, uh, I mean, we believe that we are still strongly undervalued. Just seem to have lost Sebastian's line there. Please stand by while we reconnect. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So Don, as, uh, as Sebastian is just reconnecting, perhaps I can jump in here. So what Sebastian was saying was that uh, we're, we're looking at the share buybacks as part of our capital allocation strategy, uh, and ultimately it's competing against other investments in our business. Uh, so as long as we can you know, continue to see a strong return um, that's, that's competing with the 20% IRRs that we're seeing on projects, we can continue to do buybacks. Uh, so you would have seen uh, within our Q3 results that we did about 35 million uh, in Q3 alone uh, and 94 for, for the year to date. Yeah, okay. Uh, thanks for that, Martino. Um, maybe I'll just give it a second to see if uh, Sebastian reconnects. Otherwise, I'll continue with my next question. 
perfect. I mean, the, the team uh, with Mark and Joanna are also available to take questions. So, um, given he's in uh, in Waga with poor connection, I suggest we continue, and, and Sebastian will join as soon as he can. Okay, sure. Well, with that, um, so we have the Sabadella DFS completed next month, as was indicated. You know, per guidance, we're modeling non-sustaining capex increasing into Q4. We'd expect this to continue to 2022. Um, two questions then for phase two. Can you remind me of any potential scope changes uh, that we might expect versus the previous Taranga study? And um, inflation has been topical across the industry. Do you have any preliminary comments on inflation pressures as you're preparing this DFS? Sure. Uh, so on the um, on the Masawa phase two, we ran many trade-off studies uh, and ultimately uh, decided that uh, the PFS route was the best one. Uh, perhaps, Mark, you can comment more on uh, what we're seeing on the project side. Yeah, so it's, it is too early to give any sort of hard numbers on any inflationary impacts, though we certainly know that there will be, um, you know, just some of the indications on steel price and shipping costs and, and a few other um, aspects. Um, in terms of, from a scope perspective, Probably one area that we were really focusing on was just looking at how we deal with the transitional law. So, you know, at the start of the top of the pit, you've got oxide um, or, 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 you know, free milling ore, and then you've got um, the, the fully refractory, but then there's zones um, that, that alter between the different lenses of the ore bodies, but also at different depths that will be transitional in nature. So we've been looking at how we would best do that, um, which is most likely uh, through the flotation circuit and then the, the float um, tail going to the CIL plant. So that's been probably the main, uh, the main difference, if you like, to the Taranga study. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much, Mark. And thanks, Martino. That's all hey, for me. Hey. hey, Don. Sorry. I apologize. My line was cut off. Oh, no problem, uh, Sebastian. That's okay. I've asked my two questions. I'll just pass it off to the, the next person in queue. Congrats again Thanks on a good so quarter. Thank you, Don. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Justin Stevens from PI Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, congratulations on a good quarter. Um, obviously, it's nice to see despite the rainy season that everything's ticking along well. Um, most of what I was looking for has been already asked and answered. Um, the only thing I was just wondering is if you could give us, um, uh, yeah, obviously with these DFSs for Fedeco and Kalana uh, coming down the pipe, what's the sort of rough timeline you'd expect in terms of permitting uh, before you'd be looking to potentially make a construction decision once those studies are in hand? Sure. Um, hey, Justin. Well, I think on you know on uh, on both projects, uh, whether Fedecro or um, the Biox plant for Sabadola Masawa, uh, we do have all the licenses in place. Um, so it's now just about uh, decision uh, for construction, which is required, which will be made on the back of the um, uh, publication of the um, feasibility studies. Uh, both feasibility studies, you know, should be completed by year end, beginning of next year. So uh, again, you know, we'd expect a uh, construction decision for both projects, you know, sometime in Q1. And, um, and it's about then an 18 months, you know, construction period for, uh, you know, both projects. Great. And uh, can you remind me about Kalana as well? 
So Kalana, um, you know, we've been uh, waiting, I mean, to see the DFS for Kalana, but what we said is that, uh, you know, we would build only two projects in parallel at the same time. Uh, right now, and again, you know, providing uh, there is no changes uh, during the, uh, the feasibility studies released, you know, we clearly see the biox for Sabadola Masawa and Fedeco to be, you know, stronger uh, projects in the short term than Kalana. Uh, which is somehow good because then it will give more time for Kalana to do more exploration and be able to grow the project. Um, if you look at the pre-feasibility study for Kalana, we've been looking at something which is more around 150,000 ohms uh, annual production for 10 years. What we are looking for projects, I would say, that are you know, significantly above 200,000 ohms annual production per year, uh, which is the case of Pedicro and, uh, and obviously the Sabadola Masawa project, which is critical for you know, bringing uh, Sabadola Masawa into a tier one territories. So, um, yeah, I would say that, um, you know, without having yet the DFS, I'm pretty convinced that the uh, outcome would be construction decision on the back of DFS for Sabadola Masawa and for Fedecro and uh, give more time for Kalana in order to continue to build the pipeline so that Kalana would come, you know, in the, uh, in the rest of the pipeline uh, in, in two or three years time down the road once the further exploration is done and that we're able to continue to grow the Kalana project. Got it. That makes sense. And yeah, just to just confirm there, you're, you'd be happy building, say, you know, the like, pro, yeah, based on priorities and, and how the numbers look. But you'd be happy building um, Subdala Phase Two, and a greenfield project in tandem. Um, obviously, as long as you know the gold price hangs in where it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we I mean, as a team, uh, you know, we feel comfortable in running you know both projects in parallel, in particular because you've got one which is a brownfield with already a lot of the infrastructure uh, and the other one being a, a complete greenfield, but a complete greenfield in a country where we had already two constructions uh, with uh, Agbao and ET Don. So we know extremely well, you know, uh, Côte d'Ivoire and the environment. So uh, yeah, we feel, we feel comfortable in, in building those two projects in parallel. Sounds good. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Justin. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Anita Stoney from CIBC World Markets. Please go ahead. Stoney, that's a new one. Um, good morning, guys. Uh, most of my questions have been uh, asked and answered. Uh, I just wanted to um, ask a little bit more about uh, cost expectations going into next year. Could you talk, I, and I noticed that um, at Bungu you had talked about some of the costs being at the higher end because of uh, um, security uh, and um, and protocols there. Could you uh, specifically talk about um, cost uh, pressures at Burkina, and then also just review some of the cost pressures that you have across the operations? Sure. Um, well, I think you know the, uh, uh, the the cost. I mean, is really a function of the uh, uh, the grade and uh, and and the throughput for the different mines. So we've got, I would say, a pretty strong visibility on those. Uh, for the next uh, the next few years, you know, with the life of mine plan. Uh, so what we are monitoring is really the uh, additional uh, inflation pressure uh, that uh, you know we would see on on some of the mines uh, linked to the uh, to the supply chain. Uh, and the good thing is that um, over the last uh, 18 months, we've been able to consolidate and renegotiate a lot of the key contracts uh, thanks to uh, you know new volumes that we added with the Semaphore and the Teranga acquisition. Uh, we had some very strong and positive outcome of all those negotiations, including the most recent one that were done between June and September, uh, being able to, you know, through that, ensure that we would have 
on current prices, a limited inflation, you know, cost on uh, on our cost base, uh, you know, for 22 and and for some of those key commodities uh, until 23 and 24. So um, I, I feel, you know, pretty uh, pretty comfortable, uh, you know, for the time being, uh, given the strong contracts that we have, that uh, you know we shouldn't see any significant impact of uh, inflationary costs uh, for you know 22 and, and 23. And in fact, I see uh, you know still further opportunities for us to continue to improve uh, our cost structure base, uh, in particular with uh, you know improvement at uh, a number of mine sites. Uh, you know, I'll just give an example, but uh, you know, the Wanyon that we acquired from Taranga, uh, there was about 70, 72 expatriates on site. We're now down to about 50 because we've got a, a very strong program of growing local talent. You know, taking out 25 expatriates, you know, that's, you know, two, three million dollars, you know, off the bottom line that you, uh, you know, adding uh, and simply, you know, by, you know, growing local talents. And, and this gives you a lot of leverage to absorb, you know, any any small inflation on, on some of the other costs. So um, overall, you know, I feel, you know, pretty strong, you know, despite the inflationary theme uh, around, uh, you know, limited impact on our costs for, uh, you know, 22, 23. Okay, and then just perhaps a question for yourself or Martino. When when would you be providing guidance for 2022-2023? Uh, so we usually do that uh, in the third week of January, around the third week of January. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Yifang Vao from Amundi. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, management. I have two questions about the uh, investment activities of the firm. Uh, th- the first one is uh, I read uh, about the initial capex of two greenfield projects, and uh, has the has the initial capex been deployed, or what's the timeline for the uh, capex deployment? Sure. So the um, uh, the two projects that uh, we're talking about are uh, Fedecro, the Greenfield Fedecro in uh, in Côte d'Ivoire, and uh, Sabadola Massawa uh, expansion uh, in uh, in Senegal. Uh, those two projects we expect to complete the feasibility study by year end. So the construction decision should occur in the beginning of Q1. So no capex has been deployed, you know, so far on those two projects, and are expected, you know, to start once construction decision is taken. Okay, and uh, my second question is, since since the company leverage is so low, and what's the company's future strategy? I mean, would the management continue to uh, uh, to to look for MA opportunities, or uh, what's your target for the uh, maximum uh, leverage? Yeah. So as part of our capital allocation strategy that um, uh, that we presented to the market during our London listing in uh, in June, back in June. Uh, the key message around uh, you know capital allocation was that uh, we don't want to go back to above 0.5 times net debt to EBITDA in terms of leverage. Uh, so we're currently sitting at about zero, and uh, and we expect that uh, you know strong cash in Q4 will put us in net cash position territory uh, you know by year end, uh, and that's what we want to maintain you know as long as possible. So uh, the objective is even during the construction period of those two projects in 2023 is not to go at any point over 0.5 times net debt to EBITDA. Okay, uh, 1.5 times, right? 0. 0.5, 0.5. 0.5, okay. What's yeah. the, what's the yeah. covenant of the, uh, of the leverage? Uh, the covenant is at uh, three times uh, EBITDA. 
so uh, we've got uh, you know ample room so it's a really it's a really uh, i would say a, a strategic decision of uh, you know not leveraging you know more the business ensuring that we are able to maintain a very strong discipline and uh, more going towards uh, accumulating a minimum net cash position of 250 million 50 million dollars uh, and, and that's really because, uh, you know, we believe that whatever the gold price uh, environment, we want to have a strong balance sheet to ensure that we are able to continue to deploy on exploration and on building new projects, despite a lower gold price environment. Okay. Uh, thank you. That's all on my side. Thank you very much. Thank you. That will conclude today's Q&A session. I would now like to turn the call back to Martino de Ciccio for any additional or closing remarks. Thank you, everyone, for joining our call today. Uh, that's all the time we have left, but we remain available for further questions by call or by email. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.